Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. Today, I am talking all about egg quality, what it means, what it is, and what I want you to know about trying to improve your own egg quality. Before we dive into this, I'm going to talk about this week's Fertility in the News. There was a voice clip which was released, and I'm going to play it for you. This is the voice of Stephen Billy. He's the Vice President of State Affairs for the Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America Foundation. And they are talking here, this is a telephone call that's recorded about the reversal of Roe v. Wade and further restrictions of what their focus is going to be on now, which is what we have been saying. The focus is going to shift from abortion care to limiting IVF and contraception. And I am going to let you hear this yourself now so that we can all think about this. So essentially, what we are hearing is that the plan is, yeah, in a couple of years, let's regulate IVF or contraception, but let's make sure we're not talking about it now because we don't want them to know. We don't want the people to know that we're really after all these reproductive rights and that this is about control. And we don't want everybody to know that we're coming for IVF and contraception because then maybe they won't support us on these abortion bills. As we have been saying, well, I've been saying, and I never intended to talk about abortion this much in my career. I'll be honest, I grew up in an environment, in an area of the country where abortion was inherently bad. I grew up in South Georgia. Now, I quickly learned, especially as I saw the world around me and I went to medicine, that abortion is not what we think it is and that it is a medical procedure and that so often people have an abortion who never want one. Or sometimes people have an abortion because they truly feel like it is the only choice. And when you have worked on a labor floor and you've seen 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds giving birth, pregnant from rape or incest, it's eye-opening. The body at that young age is not meant to be pregnant. When you see people die from delivering or from pregnancy complications, you know that pregnancy is not health neutral, that it has risks for everybody at any moment, and that forcing that on somebody else 
is really intruding upon their own bodily autonomy. Their context of lethal fetal anomalies where a child will never survive, that we're asking somebody to risk their life to carry it. There are circumstances where there's medical conditions or diagnoses that you're unable to get proper treatment for, and you're risking losing your life over that. And there are circumstances, which we are hearing increasingly in the news, of people who are potentially never going to be able to have children because of the impact of these abortion laws. There was a story recently of a woman in Texas whose water broke at 16 weeks. She went to the hospital. She was not able to be induced, which is what we would have done prior to SB8 passing here in Texas. She would have had labor-induced, even though the baby had a heartbeat, because she had no amniotic fluid. The baby never would have survived. But she would have gone through this heartbreaking experience and would have gone home healthy, sad, but healthy, and able to get pregnant again. Instead, she was turned away, sent home, said they cannot intervene until there's either no more heartbeat or until her life is threatened. She went back when she was septic, meaning she was so infected inside her uterus because that's what happens when your water's been ruptured for over 24 hours. A high portion of people get infected. That's why we give antibiotics to those in labor if there's water has been ruptured for more than 24 hours. And so she got infected, an infection in her uterus that then spread into her bloodstream, caused her to have sepsis, caused her to have a drop in her blood pressure, caused her to start to get so sick that she got into the ICU, caused her to be able to be sick enough where her life was threatened. And so they intervened, ending the pregnancy. But the risk of an infected uterus, and every fertility doctor and every OBGYN will tell you this, it's a completely scarred shut uterus and it's called Asherman syndrome. And Asherman syndrome is sometimes unreversible, meaning such dense scars seen in the context of a uterine infection cannot always be removed. And so this woman lost her baby, was super sick and was in the ICU, doesn't even probably remember part of this time, and now has a chance she'll never have a baby again or carry a baby because of this law. These laws have huge extenuating circumstances and consequences. And if we think they're stopping at just being happy abortion is outlawed, we're wrong. They will come for IVF and they are going to limit contraception access. So if you think this fight is over, you're wrong. And my job is just, like I said, more than I ever wanted to talk about abortion as a fertility doctor, I'm well aware that this is a good example right here of how this woman is not going to be able to have fertility that she wanted. So all reproductive rights, we need them all in order to really help people have the families they want safely and effectively. All right, well, I'm going to dive in and talk about egg quality. That's a heavy topic, and now we are switching over to egg quality. When you talk about egg quality, I kind of hate the word quality because it gives you this idea that like some people are just better than other people. What we really mean is genetic normalcy. So the way that I like to think about eggs in the ovaries is if you imagine inside the ovary that there's a vault where all your eggs are kept, when you're born, that vault is full and throughout your life, eggs come out of the vault. And when the vault is empty, you're in menopause. And so what happens is that the eggs that are inside the vault sit in a stage of cell division called metaphase of meiosis from the moment you're born. And they stay this way until you ovulate. And this is highly problematic for human reproduction, but it is what it is. Because of this, there's proteins holding these chromosomes in their perfect spot, and these proteins break down, and the telomeres start to shorten as we get older. And I always say 
our ovaries absorb the wear and tear of our life, just like our whole body does, right? Like we get wrinkles on our face and my back hurts. Same thing's happening inside of our ovary. So the number one thing that determines egg quality is your age. Chromosomes are going to break down just sitting there. And that is just a fact. There is very little you can do about that fact. However, you can make it worse and you can make it better. And people might tell you that that's not true, but we have emerging evidence that it is. And even one of our big talks this year at ASRM was about telomeres and stopping them from getting short by lifestyle interventions. So we have emerging evidence that what you do to your body, how you treat it, what you put in it and on it really does impact your whole health, including your ovaries and your eggs. And that's what we're going to be focusing on, talking about how to improve your egg quality. Number one, age is still the most most important determinant. So if there's anything I can tell you to do would be to not ignore your age. And if having biological children is an important life goal, you should consider fertility preservation, which I have a whole episode on that. Thinking about should you freeze your eggs or your embryos, or should you get a fertility evaluation and consider potentially intervening sooner? That is important. Once we kind of hit age 35, we tend to have about half and half, half normal eggs, half not normal. You're still pretty good until age 37, but age 38 and on, we start to see a rapid decline in the number of normal eggs that you have to the point when you're age 40, you're going to have 25 to 30% normal. And then when you're 42, it's going to be lower, like 10 to 15% normal. And those numbers should make your eyes bulge out. If you're waiting until age 38 to have your first baby and you want more than one baby, you are accepting a rate of loss of miscarriage that's higher. And you're accepting a pregnancy rate per month that is lower. So intervening sooner is the best thing you can do. All that being said, the age you are is sometimes it's the age you are. You can't rewind the clock or wish you'd frozen your eggs younger. It is what you are. So what about intervening now that can make a difference? And I think that this is where I have seen patients make big changes and have hugely different outcomes in their IVF cycles back to back. So sometimes we get a cycle. I see something suggesting a surprise decrease in egg quality as to what we were expecting for age. We make a bunch of changes and do another cycle. And we see some really different outcomes. And that is just supporting the fact that treating your body kindly really does matter. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan, It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. 
Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. I will say this is going to be a brief high level overview. I'm going to kind of just go through things quickly. If you're interested in really learning more about this, you should know that I have a course called the Enhance Your Natural Fertility Course. We have over 200 course members signed up. It is a self-paced learning, like 10 educational modules, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of minutes of content, handouts, questions. We have a Facebook community where you can get your questions answered. It's so supportive. And we do monthly Q&A calls. So you can submit your questions and have your questions answered. So I really think it has been so helpful for the people in the course. It's called the Enhance Your Natural Fertility Course. You can find more information on my website at nataliecrawfordmd.com. Obviously, I make tons of free content for you. So if you can't afford it, you can't. But if you're looking to really do a deep dive on improving your natural fertility, you want it, the course. There is a sale from now until November 30th for Black Friday. So don't wait. Jump on it. All right. So if we want to talk about egg quality, though, I think this is something that is really important to understand that damage accumulates. So if you're listening to this and you want to be pregnant someday or you're not quite trying now, you are at the perfect place to intervene. The first thing to know is toxins. So I like to think about there's things you can do that make your egg quality better. There's also things you can do that make your egg quality worse. So if we think about making them worse, number one, like the top thing no fertility doctor would ever do is smoke cigarettes. Smoking cigarettes is well demonstrated to decrease both the number of eggs you have, including causing you to go into menopause early, and also result in poor quality of the eggs and increase in genetic abnormalities and miscarriage. So smoking, big no-no. If you smoked in the past, you can't undo it, friends, but stop smoking now. Even your, I only smoke when I go out or whatever social smoking, not good. Secondarily, marijuana. Marijuana is likely just as damaging. And in the studies we have so far, we see a decrease in embryo development in IVF culture and a decrease in normal embryos or live birth success rates. We even see decreased rates of success of live birth when the male partner is the one utilizing marijuana, just showing that this probably impacts eggs and sperm equally. But smoking cigarettes and marijuana use, those things should be halted, especially if you're doing fertility treatments or you have an issue with egg quality. What about non-smoking uses of marijuana or THC? I mean, 
there's things we do not know, you guys. When something's illegal, it's really hard to study. So we have to presume harm until it's proven to not be harmful. So you're only going to hear me say a big no to all of it unless some other study comes out. Alcohol is this big, dubious thing. When we look at studies of alcohol, we have to remember that alcohol is toxic. I mean, it's hard. Your body has to process it. It's a toxin. It has to clear it out. It causes inflammation. Your body gets focused on the alcohol and not doing other important cellular functions like cellular repair. So drinking every day is absolutely not going to be good for you. If you drink, when we look at studies, it looks like drinking more than four drinks per week is harmful. So if you're going to say, well, can I drink some? Do I have to drink nothing? You are an adult and can make your own choices. I'm never going to make somebody do something or tell them they have to do it my way. But I would say studies look that four drinks per week or more are harmful. And so I would want to make sure that if I was going to be drinking and doing fertility treatments, I was only going to be drinking one or two drinks per week. Remember, that's an actual drink, not like a huge drink in your Yeti or ginormous glass of wine. So our serving sizes have gotten so big and culture is so alcohol obsessed that sometimes that can be actually really hard. And I see so many people kind of not aware of how much they're drinking. Ultimately, we're looking at what's causing inflammation in your body. Alcohol causes inflammation. You should limit it. If you're doing a cycle trying to get pregnant, like a frozen embryo transfer, you should all the way avoid it. You guys just no, stop that. Okay. Now, what other toxins are there? So there are so many toxins in our environment, including our products, the things we interact with every day, and our food sources. So if we look at some of these toxins like BPA, phthalates, perfluorinated chemicals, these things are looking like they decrease ovarian reserve and quality, especially in studies in the lab. So yes, some of these studies are mice studies and they're not a human study. It's much harder to study humans. And in observational studies, we're seeing the same thing, that higher quartiles of exposure have more harm to how we perform or our natural fertility rates. So if we think about some basics on trying to limit toxin exposure in your kitchen, get rid of plastics. You should get rid of plastics altogether. You should drink from, you know, aluminum, stainless steel, glass, things that are not going to be as toxic. You should definitely never put plastic in the dishwasher or the microwave. You should take things out of to-go containers as soon as you get them and put them on plates or in oven-safe dishes. You should never microwave with saran wrap or Ziploc baggies. You should get rid of products like cookware that has Teflon on it. Although newer Teflon says they don't have PFCs in it, I'm not convinced on what they're coating it with to be a nonstick pan. So stainless steel is going to be your best bet. And then look at what you use for lunches. If you meal prep, you know, get glass containers or other things that are not going to be leaching chemicals into your food. It does appear when you heat plastic, that's when the most damage occurs. So please, please, please don't take a plastic thing of your food to the office and heat it in the microwave. That's just breaking my little heart right there. Other surprising sources of toxins can include the wrappings that a lot of our food products come in. So like fast food wrappings actually can have a lot of chemicals in them. Cans have BPA in the liner of canned goods. So you can actually get boxed tomatoes and beans at a lot of places now and you should look for them. 
and then some of the wrappings in our ultra processed or our prepared foods. And so really trying not to interact with some of those is important. Meat and animal products has also been a way that toxins have gotten into the human body because animals can be exposed to toxins. Animals are also exposed to hormones. And so limiting animal flesh can be a helpful way to improve your egg quality. We have seen studies where higher level of meat consumption, red meat consumption specifically, has been associated with decreased embryo formation in IVF studies. And then there were studies looking at poultry consumption and showed lower rates of ovulation than if you had animal protein instead. So I don't eat meat. My daughter doesn't eat meat. You can certainly eat meat if you want to, but I would say you should eat less of it. What I usually recommend, I like to make it easy, is to have meatless Monday. So you just don't have any meat on Monday. Your other days of the week, you have meat with one meal a day. And then you have red meat only one time per week. The reason why is that if you are decreasing your meat servings, you're also going to be increasing your vegetable serving significantly. That's one of the biggest benefits of eating less meat is you are forced to up servings of vegetables. And those vegetables have a lot of vitamins and nutrients in them as well. Some people are sensitive to dairy and some people are sensitive to gluten and some people are not sensitive to either. You can do whatever you want to do here. Everybody is different. There's definitely certain medical diseases or autoimmune diseases where you might be more prone to become inflammatory, even if you're not truly allergic to some of these things. I think the easiest thing to do is to eliminate them for 30 days. So don't have dairy, don't have gluten. I know y'all. I don't eat gluten anymore and I love it. So I get you. But if you avoid it for 30 days and then you add it back in, you'll suddenly be aware if it impacts you or not. If you wait 30 days, you add back in dairy, wait a couple of weeks and you're still feeling fine. Great. Dairy doesn't impact you. If, however, you add dairy in and now you're bloated, fatigued, you don't have the same level of energy, you feel puffy, gassy. Yeah, that's probably not for you. That's a sign your body's having an inflammatory reaction to it. Same thing with gluten. If you restrict it from your diet and then you add it back in and you notice no difference, fantastic. You are not sensitive to it. But if you start eating gluten and you start feeling not good, that's a sign that your body is having an inflammatory reaction to it. So then I would recommend you don't eat it. Sugar is also so inflammatory in these ultra processed foods that we eat. Our body is not meant to have sugar in the levels that we do, right? Like we eat sugar in such a high level and it's not really something that's natural. Fruit sugars don't count. Fruit sugars are fine, but we're talking about added sugar to things. Make that the exception. If you treat your body kindly on most of the days and you make good choices on most of the days, then the cupcake on the birthday or the drink on Christmas, like those things become much less of a big deal because your body can handle that transient inflammation that it can't handle all the other times if you're constantly challenging your body and it's chronically inflamed, it is not able to handle anything new, the extra stress, the extra illness, the extra alcohol, and that's going to tip you over. And if we don't think that chronic inflammation is toxic to our eggs, we're just not listening to the literature that's out there. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? 
but women belong in scientific research. Their essential and ritual knows this. I choose ritual multivitamin every day because it is easy to take. And I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Also, there are some vitamins and supplements that can be helpful. Now, by no means does this mean everybody goes and takes everything. But a prenatal with folic acid, taking vitamin D, CoQ10, Sometimes people need extra vitamin C or vitamin E or N-acetylcysteine or myo-inositol. And to be honest, it depends on your medical conditions. I give people different vitamins if they have PCOS or endometriosis or low ovarian reserve, or I'm worried about their egg quality. So I go into details in my course about why certain vitamins are good at certain times. I know your doctor probably has an opinion too there, but there can be some vitamins that can be helpful. Probably the number one most underrated thing is sleeping. Sleeping is when your body normally has cellular repair. Getting standard constant hours regardless of if you're working or not working and getting at least seven and a half to eight hours of sleep per night is really important if we're trying to help our body heal from inflammation and we want to have good egg quality or be able to accept the challenges that are coming, you know, with IVF or any fertility treatment cycle. Hand in hand with that is stress. When your body is stressed out, it has high cortisol, it needs sleep to get rid of it. And it also needs to have moments where you're relieved of stress. Some stressors we put in ourselves. So set boundaries, say no, lighten your workload if you can, find a way to relieve stress. And maybe that is exercise or walking or acupuncture or massage or therapy or meditation. We're all different people. Something different is going to work for all of us. But I tell my patients, you should have at least 30 minutes of dedicated cortisol lowering time per day, meaning some moment where you sit there and you get a reprieve from the normal stresses that are happening. It does look like working out can be really helpful, especially if you have insulin resistance. Working out first thing in the morning can be helpful. You really should not feel forced to have to do HIT or high-intensity exercise. Yoga, moderate activity like just walking or cycling at a low impact or weight training, building up muscle with weights and resistance is so good for your body and how it can respond to other situations. So how I like to view this is this is a lot of different aspects of your life, you know, managing your stress, getting sleep, exercising what you eat, what you're exposed to, and eliminating toxins. That is what you can do. There's a lot we can't do when it comes to fertility, and there are no guarantees. And that is the hardest part of this journey. But I look at every patient and I say, hey, if I were you, and I know when I was you, 
I wanted to control all the variables that I could control. And then I could at least say, hey, whatever's going to happen on the other end of this, I did what I could. Everybody's different. And I have some patients who don't want to make any lifestyle changes. And that is 100%. You're right. But I'm a big believer that inflammation is really one of the driving factors in so many disease states that we see right now, including unexplained infertility. I think that we allow our bodies to be inflamed and we never give ourselves what we need to heal. And this leads to chronic disease. And this makes some insults that our body sees and makes us unable to heal from them. And if we can start treating our body as one whole unit, we really can start to heal the best. And then we are at least doing what we can for our own egg quality. I am now going to answer some questions for fertility's sake. This is our weekly Q&A segment where we answer your top fertility questions. You can ask questions on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD every Monday, or you can call the As a Woman voicemail, 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. And I am doing another voicemail Q&A coming up next month. So if you have a voicemail call and leave it because it has a high chance of getting answered. All right. So question one, is a fetal echo always necessary? How much higher is the risk with IVF pregnancies? You know, this has actually come up for debate and current literature has recommended that we don't need to do this, but it is still standard of care. Originally, we did have studies showing that babies who were born with IVF had a 1% higher rate of birth defects the most common birth defect is a heart birth defect. So that would be all babies who were born from IVF were recommended to get a fetal echo at the time of their anatomy scan to make sure there was no issue with the heart. Now, some larger well-done studies have shown that this is probably not necessary and there really isn't a higher risk of heart birth defect specifically, but it is still standard of care and still recommended by the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. Furthermore, what we know is that it looks like people who have infertility are at risk to have these higher rate of birth defects, about 1% higher than the general population, regardless of how they conceive. Meaning if you get pregnant with IVF or IUI or on your own, but you had infertility, it's probably a population-based thing. So I do not worry about IVF specifically having a much higher rate. Sperm morphology. How important is it? My husband has a low morphology and can we do IUI? Morphology is the shape of the sperm. In science, we're super nerdy and we always say structure equals function. So if you have a high percentage of abnormally shaped sperm, I am concerned the sperm cannot do its job. The job of a sperm, hold DNA in the head, swim to where it needs to go, fertilize an egg. Studies show lower success rates with IUI or natural conception when you have a low morphology. That doesn't mean we don't ever do IUI. Sometimes it is a good option but this ultimately will depend on the other fertility factors, namely how long you've been trying, have you ever had a conception, how old you are, your ovarian reserve, the other sperm parameters, how many kids you want, and if your fallopian tubes are open. So this is not something I can answer just quickly for everybody, but to say I would recommend a full evaluation and then proper counseling with your doctor to ask what my success rates would be if we chose IUI as compared to if we chose IVF in the setting of having low morphology. Ultimately, IVF is the gold standard for any male factor, and you're going to have much higher chances of getting to that pregnancy if you go straight to IVF. I implantation bleeding lasting two to three days. Should I show to my doc? 
Absolutely not. We do not want to see your implantation bleeding. You 0% of the time ever need to take a picture of anything that comes out your vagina to show you to your doctor. I'm not being mean. I'm just being honest. We trust you to describe it to us. If you are knowingly pregnant and you pass tissue and you're able to get it and take it, sometimes it can be tested for genetics. That's very different. But a picture is not going to help us. Implantation bleeding can last a few days. I've also had it last a long time for patients. Definitely, you should let your doctor know. They may want to do early ultrasound or they may want to stop medication. Like if you're taking aspirin or blood thinners, they may want you to stop those. But no need to show your doc. Just tell us. My cycles are very regular, so I know I'm ovulating. Cause of light periods that only last one day. When you only have one day long periods, we are sometimes a little concerned that your lining's not getting thick enough. This can be from a variety of reasons, but if you've ever had a progesterone IUD or any surgery on your uterus, C-section, DNC, abortion, fibroid removal, septum resection, could be scar tissue on the inside or sometimes just chronically thin lining. I'm always concerned about this history. I know you don't have complete obliteration of your cavity or ashermans because you are having periods, but when you just have a day of very light bleeding, I am concerned that there is some scar tissue or some endometrium that's not developing. So if you've been on prolonged birth control pills like the oral contraceptive combined pill or had a progesterone IUD or a progesterone implant or gotten the depot shot, it could be due to that. Sometimes I'll give patients estrogen for a little while to thicken up the lining just to help overcome that prolonged progesterone exposure. However, if you've ever had your uterus instrumented or any surgery or anything inside the uterus, I'm concerned there could be scar tissue. So definitely bring this up to your doctor. They can do ultrasounds when you should be ovulating to see how thick the lining is. We can do a saline sonogram, a special type of ultrasound where we put water inside the uterus. And that allows us to see if there's any scar tissue. So I would want to evaluate this if I were you. Does low count of eggs mean low quality? I'm doing IVF and I'm terrified we won't make good embryos. This is a fantastic last question to end on. No, just because you have a low egg count or a low AMH or a low number of eggs that are coming out of the vault every month, that does not mean they have bad quality. Yes, in general, People run out of eggs as you get older, so you have a lower count as you get older, and you have worsening quality as you get older. But if we look at people who are young, who have a low egg count, they still have the same egg quality that they should have for their age-related peers. So do not fret just because you have a low or very, very low egg count. It does mean you're not going to get as many eggs per IVF cycle as your peers. It does mean you won't make as many embryos. It does mean you may need more cycles to get to the embryo count you need for your family. It also means that focusing on what you can do, what this whole episode has been about, is probably really important because being able to control those lifestyle factors is going to ultimately be all you can do. You didn't cause your account to be low. Sometimes it's genetic. Sometimes it's a disease like autoimmune. Sometimes it just happens. But when you find out it's low, Understanding the long-term implications and the decisions that you make now can totally change your family. So please make sure you have a fertility doctor and clinic that you trust and you come up with a comprehensive game plan talking about the entire family size you want. And if you're young with a low egg count and somebody tells you that this means your eggs are bad quality, get another opinion. And if you're young with a low egg count and somebody tells you you're not a good candidate for IVF, 
go get another opinion. I'm concerned that they are protecting their success rates. Success rates that we report nationally are just crappy because they report success per cycle. So if you have a young patient who you know is going to need a lot of cycles to get to a normal embryo because they don't have many eggs, that one person's going to drop your success rates. So some clinics have cut off that if your AMH is less than this, they won't let you cycle. And they tell you donor eggs is your only option. It might be. Every case is unique, but do not give up your desire for a biological child without getting another opinion, please. I hope you guys found this episode helpful. Again, you can get your fertility questions answered every week, Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call the voicemail 657-229-3672. And if you're really interested in trying to optimize your own fertility, want to join me and our community who's so uplifting and supporting while everybody's on this journey together, you can join the Enhance Your Natural Fertility program. Again, that's at nataliecrawfordmd.com. 20% off until November 30th. So don't wait. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.